Hello, you're listening to the Hamilton Brothers e-commerce podcast. If some of our discussions and tips are working for you, why don't you grab a 15-minute call with us at ecommercecall.com. We'll see whether we can help scale your e-commerce business. We will quickly see if we're a fit or whether we can recommend someone else to get you where you need to go. The worst case is you'll have a fun 15-minute chat and regardless, you'll come away understanding a lot more about your business. Book a call at ecommercecall.com. Hello and welcome to the Hamilton Brothers e-commerce podcast. This week, Ian and I are going through the key stories that we've learned along our e-commerce journey. So let's get started. Hello, Ian. How are you? Good evening. I'm okay. I'm all right. Thought I'd start the podcast because you started to moan a lot. And I thought if if I started the podcast, well, it was late. Start the podcast, you won't be able to moan, and then we just get on with it. No, so no, it is. It's half past it ten. It is half past ten. At the it's UK. only half past nine in the morning here, fresh, ready for the day. <laughs> well, you need to go back in your hammock, Mark. Can't it's, honestly, living in Auckland at the moment is like living underwater. We had I've never seen so much rain in my life. It's just yeah, oh, yeah. it's just it's just insane. Um, I don't know what it, I think it's something to do with El Nino's or something. I digress. Who? El Nino's. No, it's, I don't think an El Nino is a football. I think it's some kind of heat, hot wave, heat wave thing that comes through the, and yeah. Oh. Um, Google it is probably what I'd say. Um, okay. Excellent. Anyway, anyway, um, what I wanted to do a podcast on today was the key stories that we, we talk about in, in our in our history of of kind of growing and and um, and the key things that we learned from them because I think well you're doing this big presentation aren't you in London um, just after um, the Theroux guy the director the what's he called the documentary guy Louis Theroux yeah and, yeah and Andy Murray Louis um, and um, apparently so yeah I I don't think you should stand next to Louis Theroux because he's he's quite tall and you're not particularly tall. He is tall, and also Andy Murray is yes, tall. Yes, exactly. Maybe we should. Although I am very tall at five foot seven, I mean I am a giant. Maybe you should take a stool at five foot seven with you, and then take a photo next yeah. to them. <laughs> well, it could be the could be the the three legged stool from our offer. Exactly. And they say, "What's that?" Then I say, "I take that everywhere with me," um, just so yeah. so people understand it. Anyway, so let's let's go into the stories because I, yeah. I I know it's a bit late for you. So why don't we talk about? Um, the first story. The first story um, was, by basically, this was a, this is a story that we found in e-commerce with a lot of people. Um, you know, people look at complex problems and they look for complex solutions to them. And if you know, one thing that, like Tim Ferriss said, you know, the guy that wrote the Four Hour Work Week, is he first of all he says is, 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 is if this was simple, what would the answer be? And you know, obviously, sometimes complex problems do have complex answers, but if there is a simple solution, we might overlook it because we're looking for a complex, complex solution to a complex problem. It's just the way that the human mind works. Mm. So this, this, the story that kind of pointed this out was um, when you and I were trying to get the, uh, the keys out of the Ford Mondeo boot. And it reminded me about it. Why don't you tell that story? Yeah. Well, 20 years ago, you had a Ford Mondeo did. and you phoned me up and you said, I've locked, I've locked the keys in the boot and I, I can't, I need to get, I need to, I need to drive somewhere. What do I do? I was going on holiday. And so I came over. I was going on holiday. Yeah. And, um, and we came over and we were, and we were trying to get the keys out of the boot for the Ford Mondeo and we tried everything. We took the back seats out. We tried to, um, prize the metal panel. It was a saloon. Yeah. Uh, Ford Mondeo should be out. trying to my, prize the metal panel out. Um, tried to unscrew it, found another metal panel, couldn't do it. Uh, tried to find the emergency flap in the fuel filler in the fuel cap where to open the back, the boot, couldn't do it. Um, three hours later, thought, I know what, I'll, I'll just check that you, you know, that you can't just press the um press the knob on the back on the boot and the and it and that worked and the boot opened so we'd spent three hours faffing around yeah trying to find trying to get trying to work out how to get into the boot without pressing the button and the moral of the story is particularly with e-commerce 
I think it is an industry that is surrounded with so much, um, I was going to say jargon, um, misinformation, shiny distractions, massively overcomplicating things. And, um, and often it, it doesn't need to be. Yeah. It doesn't need to be. And often you can just, you can, but not to say there's a magic button to press. No. You know, has, ever, has anyone found that magic button in Shopify that doubles conversion rate? Have you seen it yet? It's brilliant. Yeah. Well, it was just, it yeah. was basically the car, the, I used to put the keys into the car and then twist the keys and that's how the boot opened. And the keys had gone into the boot. And I was just, pl- I was just kind of moving around and I suddenly went, I wonder if this button pressed it. I pressed the button and then the boot opens. And it kind of always made me realize that, you know, cause, because it was a complex problem. Like I couldn't go on holiday. Suddenly that was a big complex problem. I suddenly started to think of a complex problem complex solutions. And, and one thing I always like to look at with an e-commerce site is, is there a simple solution to fix this? If it was simple, what would it be? You know, like, is it the lifetime customer value that we could just, we could just tweak up? Is it the, you know, if we could just get the average order value up, is, is there a simple solution that would just make this, make this work? And the reason why I look for a simple solution is that the, 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 the thin advantage in e-commerce is what often gives the person like winner takes all. So, you know, like with um, like football players, professional football players, the amount of professional football players at the top probably earn 90% of the, of the of the money of all the football players combined because they're, you know, they're probably not nowhere near twice as good as the people in the bottom leagues, but they might be like 10%, 15% better. And it's that thin advantage that makes a really big difference. So where if we can find a simple solution, that's where we should go and, and, and work first. So that was, that was kind of like the first... First story, um, and yeah, what's what's the next story in? Well, the next story on on that basis was was often it was looking at the maths, wasn't it? It was understanding it was understanding that there were certain businesses that were effortlessly flying, like being carried along with a with a magic carpet, and there were certain businesses that were that was struggling, struggling to grow. Um, and there were certain businesses that got stuck. Mm. And I remember working with, um, with, with, a, with a business called Cox and Cox. And it probably must have been about, probably about 10, 12, 12 years ago now, probably longer. And um, I think it's they got stuck longer at 5 million. Because I think it was, it was around when you first had your first child, I think it was. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was, yeah. Yeah, so it would have been about, um, yeah, about, about, yeah, 12 years ago. Um, yeah, I remember. And uh, I remember they got stuck at, they came, he came to us and they said, well, we got stuck at 5 million. You can't get past 5 million. You know, no matter what we do, we just cannot get past 5 million. You know, no matter what we spend, whatever marketing we do, whatever tweets we'll make, whatever we do, we just can't get past, past 5 million. And so it, it was a it was a case of looking at the math, like what is the fundamental math of this business? And we quickly found out that the reason they were struggling was well because they couldn't spend anymore because it, it was just not profitable to do so. Um, and the challenge was was their math. Their maths were, were poor, so their average order value at the time was thirty five pounds, and that in e commerce is. Is low. Mm. It's what I would consider low, unless there's amazing lifetime customer value. But in this case, the lifetime customer value wasn't good. Lifetime customer value was was actually pretty much bang on average. It's about one point two. Mm. So low average order value, thirty five pounds, an average order value, and a, a lifetime customer value of one point two. Very very difficult to get past five million. And actually, it was amazing they got to five with that. Well, back then, Amazing back then it was a, did. it was a catalog business and they were getting the, their business from sending out catalogs. And in order to keep growing, they needed to get more money out of each catalog buyer. And therefore they needed to be start selling something that was slightly higher average order value, didn't they? That was pretty much the, well, that's what we said. We said, right, you need to get your average order value, you need to double your average order value, mm. you need to double your average order value, and you need to get your life to customer value 2.5 times. Mm. And that was the mission. And it became, it became the whole focus of what we. Um, and so, so you know, and actually, we got the average order value up to um, eighty-five pounds, mm. and we got the lifetime customer value up to two. To, I think it was two. Went up from two, and then two point five. And really, it was it was actually more expensive products. Mm. That was really what it was. 
you know, wasn't it's it? interesting like in the past in the 12 years since we worked with them that they they grew massively and then eventually they went bankrupt didn't they so they obviously got they got to i don't know they just fell over with the um with the with the crisis of the freight i think and they had they had massive problems well, about two years ago didn't they the whole yeah, it's a whole other it's a whole other story, but yeah, basically they 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 expanded very rapidly during COVID. Um, I think quadrupled their warehousing. Mm. Um, obviously, lots more cost, and then a lot of the stock and uh, products got stuck. Mm. Um, so people were sending their you know their sofas and their things, and they got it got stuck at the ports. Really, really sad. They got all you know people started cancelling their orders. Yeah, and. Um, they didn't quite have. They were hit with the obviously eroding margin because of the um, yeah, containers went to twenty thousand. Then people started cancelling the orders and didn't quite have this cash to to carry on. We didn't have the model. That was not in the model, was it? I guess to cope with no. that kind of thing. And and a lot of them had always been growing. I mean, Made dot com was the same. They'd always been growing, and then suddenly they were asked to contract, and they'd they'd they 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 it was. I mean, it, it on hindsight, it looks silly, doesn't it? It looks silly in hindsight because well, you, it did. It did look silly, but they grew so quickly, didn't they? I mean, mm. they went to like I think probably about 30, 36 million or something. Mm. You know, during COVID, up from about fifteen, yeah, or something like that. You know, so it doubled, mm. and obviously that put massive pressure on them. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I guess if they're yeah. leveraged, you got you know if you if you're too leveraged, you can't you can't pay your debts, and that's what happens. Um. Yeah, you know you can get that. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, the the next story is about how what twenty years ago we were. It was like the beginning of e-commerce. I think the the first e-commerce site we got, we got one selling selling menswear. And I remember we got them. They came on board. And before that, we'd been doing all sorts of websites for those different people, like bed and breakfasts, lawyers, and all sorts of things. And we 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 suddenly thought, well, these are the businesses that we want to build because these are the businesses that are going to invest in their in their e-commerce sites. And I think you got that menswear company just as I was leaving to well around the time I was leaving to move to New Zealand, and I was like, right. This is interesting. And I uh, went and bought all the Dan Kennedy courses. So all Dan Kennedy courses, which are like this, one of these old school direct response marketers. And like, I think probably it was by the time, it was probably wasn't 20 years, probably 15 years ago, if it was around the time I moved to New Zealand, I um, started to work out how to apply these old direct response techniques to e-commerce. And what was really interesting about that was that I was doing all these things that eventually would become automated in Clavio and MailChimp and all those kind of things. But I was doing them manually right back then. And I was able to try and work them out, you know, and I was listening to kind of one of old Dan Kennedy's one with magnetic marketing, which was the key was like, you know, basically don't ask them once, ask them three times. And we were doing um, email marketing and we we're doing follow up sequences. And we were doing all the things that, that people had done for many, many years with direct response and, and direct mail. And we were bringing them into uh, we've been bringing them into to e-commerce, um, and and what what was fantastic about that is by the time a lot of the kind of fads and the shiny things came through e-commerce, I'd kind of tried them already and seen that they'd failed uh, or or been successful, and so I was like, nope, tried that. That was interesting. That's you know that that I don't want to do that. And also I could kind of spot what was what was useful with the stuff that I've been kind of trying to do manually. And around about that time, we got. We'd probably like working with maybe about 10, 15 e-commerce businesses. And some of them were growing really well. And some of them were stuck. And some of them were were actually declining. And that was frustrating because obviously we wanted everybody to grow. We wanted to kind of be able to grow e-commerce sites. And so remember you and I locking ourselves basically in a basement, um, which is our office because it was underground and at the time. And we pulled everything into a big spreadsheet, big Excel spreadsheet. We just started benchmarking every single thing, didn't we, that we could find. Like I can, I've still got that spreadsheet. I mean, it's literally yeah. like 16 different pages of different screens. And I was looking at like mobile conversion rate and um, like desktop conversion rate and how many people came from this and different things. And, and eventually what it came down to, and we refined it over time, came down to those seven KPIs, didn't it, that... Um, that yeah, became, the yeah, yeah. Well, we were trying to work, figure out why why were some e-com businesses scaling, and some weren't. And it didn't, you know, on the, up the, up the surface, there didn't seem to be any reason. Like, 
you know, like because one business was 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 full of very competent people that that seemingly knew lots about e-commerce, um, and another business wouldn't necessarily know anything about e-commerce, yet they were doing really well. Mm. So it had to be something deeper. It had yeah. to be something in 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 the way that the, the you know the fundamental core of the business was working, and 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 it was and and we and we saw businesses. There was a business in in Manchester, and they were doing like hair accessories. Yeah, um, and they didn't know much about e-commerce, but they were they were scaling. They were going like. From you know two million to five million to ten million to fifteen million, you like, you know, but you ask them about, you know, about some some sort of complexity around you know you know any technicalities, you can't they didn't they couldn't answer, but what they but what they did know is they knew they knew the job to be done, mm. and they knew they knew how to charge a premium for a product. Um, that was so it was more expensive than everyone else, and they knew they knew the value of how to get them to come back and buy again and again and again and again. Mm. So they had a product that had a great margin, you know, eighty ninety percent margin, more expensive than everyone else's, um, and they had a lifetime customer value of like like a, I think it was between four and five times a year. Mm. And so they got a business. They got a business that they could put money in, you know, put a pound in a slot, and they would get. You know, money out. You know, mm. they would get twenty pounds out every single time, what was, and so they just kept on putting pounds in. What was interesting about the evolution of that business is because she started selling out. She started selling with like she sold dresses, she sold trousers, she sold tops, she sold hair extensions, she sold lots of different things, and that forced her to have a shipping policy that would work for everything, and you know she could only do free shipping over fifty pounds or whatever it was. And she could do different stuff. And what she spotted from a fundamental point of view was that she got these very high margin products with very low uh, postage uh, cost. She could buy them from a wholesaler and directly in the UK, and she could re-photograph them to make them you know, actually be desirable to the market by niching down to the market and talking to the market. And effectively, she got rid of all of those other products that she was selling, which then enabled her to to grow massively and it kind of reminds me of that uh, art of war quote which is the you know victorious warriors win first and then go to war while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win and and i see that a lot i see people kind of um you know kind of putting a business together and then going to war and then trying to work out how to win whereas the people that that do well they they win on economics, not necessarily having the best ads, mm. because you don't want to compete. Like if you're in a market where you have got slightly worse economics than everybody else, and you're just trying to compete on ads or having the best Google ads campaign or having the best agency run the ads and those kind of things, it's very, very difficult because ultimately the economics, the person with the better economics will win, win the war. And the economics comes from the tools that we do, which is the target sheet, the drop by drop uh, and, mm. and, and the margin calculator sheet, which we could talk about. But ultimately, if you, those economics work, you're just going to clean up on the market and you don't want to put yourself in a position where you, in order to survive, you have to have the best ads. That, that's not where you want to be because ultimately that's very difficult because you're going to have to constantly come up with new creative, new tweaks on, on, on creative just to get, yeah. to get seen. It's very interesting, actually, what you just said there, because I think lots of people think that the answer is to have the absolute best mm. website, you know, e-commerce, Shopify theme store, you know, the absolute best creative, the absolute best agencies, the best mm. Clavio setup and MailChimp setup or whatever it is. And um, the problem is with that is it, it like costs a lot of money. You'll never get it right. And actually, it doesn't ultimately move the needle yeah. um, as much as you think it will. And so, so let, me give you, let me give you a scenario. So at the time when we locked ourselves in the basement, you know, there, was, there was a couple of clients. One was 
that come to mind. One was a gifting company that had an average order value of £30, a margin of 30%, and somehow got the business to £5 million. Um, those guys were really, really struggling because they were, they were losing money. They were losing quite a lot of money at that level. Yet they had this sort of, you know, this this compulsion, this belief that somehow there was going to be some magic wand and they were going to somehow turn that business into a profitable business and sell it for multiples of multiples. Mm. And yet when you realise that to you know the average order value of £30, margin of 30%, lifetime customer value of one, it isn't going to work. It's just not going to work. Take the other business that we mentioned. and There's another one we were chatting about just before, which was the collagen supplement business. Average order value of £55, margin of 70%, lifetime customer value of four times a year. That business there, you know, because the maths work and you can, you know, you don't need to have the most perfect ads. You don't need to have the most perfect social strategy because it, it could because it works mm. and it's going to it's going to scale much much more quickly and it's going to be worth something isn't it mm. than than the gifting company who's got an average order value of 30 margin of 30. so the gifting company is obviously going after other gifting and it, it, to get his economics up the only thing he can do is increase his average order value that's what gifting companies do is they come in with a better well, this, economics this, um, this particular company had one product, right? That, just to make it clear, that that gift, this mm. gifting company had one main product. Yeah. So that's why the lasting customer value was one, and that, and that yeah, the, the only the thing that you oh, I know who you're talking about. Company, yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Think, I think yeah. So the thing you've got to do with the gifting company is you've got to get the average order value up when yeah. you can, but also you, you, the success of it, they're not going to buy the same gift year in year out. Um, mm. It's going to have to change. So, so, so this, if you want to grow a gifting company, you have to be on trend, and you have to be bringing in new on-trend gifting products continually. Mm. If you don't, the existing customers don't buy again. It's like um, wedding favors, isn't it? If, you, if you're wedding favors and you're doing really well and you go really, really yeah. big, you'll only do it for a couple of seasons because everybody would be like, I don't want to have those wedding those wedding favors at my wedding because Ian had those at his yeah. wedding and that, you know, I don't want to be the same as him. So you, yeah. you, it's some of those businesses can be quite difficult if you, if you can't get the economics, but you do need to get everything, everything on the first sale then. And that's when you need to make, you know, make, make hay whilst the sun's shining yeah. and, and not keep, you know, there's, there's certain built businesses to build, you know, and keep reinvesting the money in. And there's certain businesses that aren't, that you shouldn't do that. You should be taking the money out and putting yeah. it into your next project. Well, we always, yeah, we, we always look for e-com businesses that have, you know, around about 80 plus average order value, um, you know, pounds or, you know, $100 plus. That, that's mm. nice. A margin of, of, like product margin of over 60%. Mm. We like those. And lifetime customer value of twice a year. Yeah. That's what we like. You know, because with them we are got something to play with. Yeah. That's that's why that's why we all that's why we it's our go to. It's like, you know, you go into the go in like the, the victorious warrior quote. Um you know, you go into it well armed because you know you're ready. Because yeah. you know you're you you know you, the maths are on your side. Um so that's the first thing. And then the next thing was that we found was the target sheet. I mean, the target sheet is a good thing. And the target sheet, which everybody will have, if you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know what the target sheet is. And the target sheet is basically looking at the very simple essences of e-commerce, which is traffic, average order value, conversion rates. And those three things give you the revenue. And it simply says, okay, well, what does a, let's say we're doing a million turnover now. You know, what does a, 5 million turnover version of our e-com business like what would the traffic need to be you know what would the average order value need to be you know what would the conversion rate need to be we break we break conversion rate down into a few other parts but the idea of it is that there is no conversation you can have in e-commerce that isn't on that sheet mm. it's very 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 simple the sheet's very simple but we've created you know it's called the Hamlesley brothers target sheet if you want to go and google it and um, it's 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 dead straightforward, 
And the thing that it does is it forces you to look at the right metric in order to grow. And, you know, that's the key. So with it, so, I mean, you know, we've used it quite a few times, haven't we? I mean, probably the story we we're going to talk about was a business called Lindybop. Mm. And Lindybop, we first met them, um, well, it was a long time ago. I mean, the businesses have changed, been bought, sold many times, merged into different brands. But, you know, it, go back 10 years, when we first met them, they were talking about the checkout. And they were like, they were obsessed with the checkout. They really wanted to improve the checkout. And you looked at, you, t- you know, put, put the data in, put it into the target sheet. And it said that their checkout to order stat was 92%. And the average drop-off for a checkout to order stat and e-commerce is about 85%, something like that. But 80, you know, between, between 80 and 85 is the average. They're on 92. It's not really going to gain anything. You know, they're not going to gain anything. No, A, no, a it would cost a lot of money to change loads of stuff in the checkout. B... There's not much to gain. Well, their problem was their add-to-basket stat was only 3.2%. And that was where the gain was. And mm-hmm. so the target sheet told us that because it said, well, in order to hit your target, you're, you're way down here. Your add-to-basket is the one that's low. So it forced, it forced you to, to think about it like, well, what am I going to do now? What's on my roadmap? You know, what's the critical thing I should do? Mm. I think that was that was good. Yeah, it was it was always about the next right thing. You put the target sheet in front of you and you kind of go, well, if I need to get to there, I can't mess around with this. I can't mess around with that. I really need to get I need to get that that working. And it it, it takes the emotion out of the business and it just focuses you on the right thing, doesn't it? Because and also tell you where yeah. you are because it's seasonally adjusted. If you've got a seasonal business, you go, well, I don't know whether I'm going to hit my targets in December. What do I need to do in July? To order to know that I'm on track to do your, my targets in December, where when I'm really busy, or the or the other way around. So that was that kind of gave us a little bit of a, you know, uh, wood for the trees kind of kind of thing. And then the drop by drop, but the drop by drop tool that came from working with one of our, our big customers um, called called Jason, and and he he basically um, he got so many different channels working that. It was just impossible to work out the attribution. It was like, we you know, we, we tried for a few years to kind of work out exactly which which orders were brochures and which ones Google ads and which one was affiliates and which one was emails. And it, it worked to some degree and we had a good idea of it. But the drop by drop report just came out and it was like, yeah. it was just said to us. What happened? Yeah. You well, do it. well, I was going to say what happened is, well, there was just there was just there was just new customers that we just couldn't attribute anywhere. Yeah. You know, so we're like, well, and there was about 30%. That was the original. It was like 30% of business that we just couldn't attribute. Mm. And at the time, I think we were using like coupons to do attribution and things like that. Yeah. And it wasn't particularly scientific, but but at least it was consistent. And But there was like a load of new customers. We said, well, we don't know where they come from. We haven't sent them a brochure. You know, we haven't, um, you know, they've never bought before. Yeah. Like, where do they come from? And it, so it was like, there's, you know, and, and I think there was two things, there was two fundamental things that the drop by drop report did. I actually think that's been one of the biggest, that with the target sheet, it's been one of the biggest things that we, that we've used to, to really, really grow e-com business. Two things the drop by drop report sheet did, in my opinion, was, was number one, it, 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 it allowed us to see exactly what we were getting for our, recruitment budget so how many new customers are recruiting we didn't really care where i mean this is you're probably going to say jason basically said to us i don't care where the revenue comes from i just want to recruit new customers i don't really care as long as you can recruit a customer at a return on ad spend of of higher than 3.5 so we know every pound we need three pounds 50 back crack on yeah and that really opened it up for us because prior to that point we were i mean we're going back like you know a long time like you know a decade and a bit more when we had this conversation but we were like we had a fixed budget you know we we would like we would spend the amount of money we we, we could in the month and then we look at the end of the month and we go oh we got a we got a six times ROAS. aren't we good yeah we got a six times ROAS. brilliant like 
And you'd no, add everything like, up and add, add everything up. And it'd be like, oh, Facebook says this, Google says this. And then like the, the, the brochure team says this, SEO says that you'd add it up and it would be like twice the actual revenue. And it'd be like, well, that's, that's a waste of time. And we'd try and do a match back on the addresses and we'd send them off to the data team and say, have you sent brochures to these people and all that kind of stuff. And it just took so much time without actually giving and any you know what value. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't actually. And we often said, "What are we actually doing with this? Are we actually are we actually making decisions on the back of this?" Yeah, and the answer was no, we weren't. And so we 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 came up with the drop by drop. The drop by drop report basically is the cost we're spending on any ads, which we include yeah. Google, Facebook, or any other social platforms, and the the revenue we're getting back for first time customers, so for new customers. And also and the difference. It also difference. also helped. Well, so I was just going to say on. the difference was that the the, the matchback and those they the think you'd do it like you'd you'd finish the month and then all the data crunching would have to happen and probably by about the fifteenth of the second next month we'd have the we'd have the results in, and I'd tell Jason, oh, this is how much sales are done. Then he then he'd just take off like, oh, here's twenty grand that needs to come off your figure. And of course, I couldn't do anything with that. Like that wasn't completely like a waste of time. Whereas the drop by drop, the whole business was looking at it every day, and it was like every day, every day. And so it was. Yeah. It now gets tweaked every day, and it's just. And it, because otherwise, what would happen is they go, "Oh, that so was a fantastic month last last month. We should have spent more." Yeah, you know. Yeah, there were two things that happened. Number one, it allowed us clearly to see. That we that we could we could spend much more clearly mm. that we you know because because we had the confidence to say well if we spend this we get this back I don't really care what channel it's coming from at this point uh, I just know that I'm spend you know I'm get I'm getting a positive and that that massively helped and the second thing is that you could you could react really quickly so you could make hay while the sun shines so if you might have a you know, like a period of like a really good weather. For like four mm. days, like amazing weather, and everybody goes crazy and starts buying loads of clothes online. Um, and uh, in that time, you want to really go for it because mm. you can recruit a customer for half the price. So you might as well absolutely double your ads. Yeah. And without doing the drop by drop report, you just wouldn't see it because oh. you're looking at at the end. The horse has already bolted, is what Jason yeah. tells us all the time. And also, we used to see used to see that we were doing really well when there wasn't a brochure out. And we were like, oh, we're still doing really well. Oh, it must be Google Ads because that's the only thing we're spending at the moment. And let's go and spend some more on that. You know, it was, it was just, it just gave us a much better feeling for the business. Like as if we were driving yeah. a car and we could see the speedo in real time. We didn't kind of like drive a car blindly, get out after a month, 15 days later and go, well, how fast was the car moving? It was like, we we're yeah. actually in control of the car. Um, I like that. Good. So time to buy. So the time to buy was a big was a big concept for us. And like, you know, if you're coming onto a site and you're buying a sheet or a pillowcase, you can kind of do it in a day. You can kind of get it done. Well, let's let's use a more extreme example. Okay. Okay. Um, the car battery, because that was the that was the original mm. story. Because the car battery is a is a problem solving rational purchase. You only need a car battery when you need a car battery, and when you need a car battery, you need it now. You need it really quick. You actually need it like today. Um, whereas if you are buying a sofa for ten thousand pounds, which is quite an expensive sofa, but if you're buying a sofa for for anything, you know any kind of sofa really, a new sofa, it's pretty expensive. It's going to take a lot longer normally to buy. The average amount of time it takes people to buy a sofa in the UK is about forty-five days. So you think about the car battery. Think about all the marketing you've got to do. How difference? How what the difference is between how a customer shops, according to those two extreme examples: mm. the car battery in a day and the sofa in forty-five days. You're not going to make this. They're not going to make the sale for the sofa on the first day, or second, or third, or even ten. Mm. The goal isn't to get the sale. The goal is to start a conversation. Yeah, and get the email address. Whereas the goal, no point getting people to sign up to your newsletter, try to start a car battery. Nobody wants to do that. You've got to really go for the sale. Yeah. You've got to give everything. You've got to give everything they need, 
And all your remarketing and all that kind of stuff has to be tuned accordingly. So there's two examples. Most e-com businesses fall somewhere in the middle. You know, yeah. Lots of people fall into seven days. But you've got to be careful. In fact, that's what the ROAS does as well. The ROAS drop by drop. That's what yeah. that does as well. You, you've got to be careful that you don't have, you know, this one size fits all for e-commerce. It doesn't work. You know, if you go and look at some of the most optimized mattress websites selling mattresses for like $1,000, $2,000, and then go and look at, um, you know, Euro car parts selling a car battery, they're, they're completely different sites. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take one thing from the other and, and, yeah. and, and, and it, it just wouldn't work. Online, yeah. 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 I mean, it's like totally if, you, if, if you were going to try and date somebody, you found someone you like, you went over to and you said, said hello, you could try, try pitching a coffee or try pitching full marriage on the first meeting. You just, it's so much easier. Obviously, they'll probably most likely, to, uh, well, not all the time, agree to have coffee with you. But you know what I mean? It's like you just wouldn't pitch full marriage on the first visit to the website if you're trying to sell something that's got a high commitment because yeah. a big purchase value is it needs a relationship before before it happens. Yeah. Because there's Normally, a lot more trust. The higher the average order value. Yeah. yeah. Normally yeah. the higher the average order value, the more of a considered purchase it is. Yeah. So if you if you if you've got a short buying window, you know, you've it's all about making sure that it's definitely guaranteed in stock. I mean there are moments to the sofa one actually people do get a bit distressed before Christmas. Mm. Don't they? Mm. You know, so if it's like you know, sofa can be delivered before Christmas, but that that's the only exception. Yeah. But generally speaking, you know, it's a much longer buying window, and that that is that is a really big one. Um, yeah. I think the other big one, you know, just on that notice, actually, because we're talking about buying window, um, is 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 the type of products you're selling, because in those example actually. It's quite a good example because it brings me on to the next one is, is if the problem, if it's a product that is a problem solving rational purchase, like a car battery is a problem solving rational purchase and the sofa is a lifestyle purchase. And so the job to be done is different. And the way you present the website and the e-com and the marketing and the product is different. So that car battery is a problem solving. So it's about, it's about convincibility you can get that job done. You know, so that that's that's what the copy and the statements and the strap line and the messaging should be all about. Convincing people that you can get that car battery to them guaranteed next day and it will definitely fit. It's definitely right because you've got this perfect battery finder system that's guaranteed to do it. Mm. And you can see evidence that, you know, people it definitely right. You know people are bothered about delivery. Mm. And so that's what all the reviews need to say. Whereas the sofa is a lifestyle one. And that's about desirability. You know, it's not a problem-solving rational purchase. Most sofas, it's a desirability one, and you have to you have to demonstrate desirability. How do you do that through beautiful brand stories, fantastic imagery? You know, is is a big one. Mm. You know, and all the marketing needs to go with it too. Yeah, and and until yeah. that's right, and if you've got a lifestyle business that that sells on lifestyle. You can't do anything else until you've got that right. That's like a fundamental thing because ultimately you're not selling a dressing gown, for example. You're selling um, the, the, you know, the, the, the lovely morning in bed, looking on your beautiful, uh, out on your beautiful view on the deck. And, and you, you know, that's that lifestyle you're selling. You're not selling a, something just to kind of randomly put on when you're feeling sick in bed, and that, you know, it, which is what I actually use. I only use my dressing gown when I'm sick. Um, but that's not what I buy a dressing gown. I buy a dressing gown for this kind of like idea that I'm this uh, man about town and I've got a dressing gown and I, I read the paper and then say hello to the dog and I haven't even got a dog, you know, I smoke my pipe. I guess it's a Hugh Hefner fantasy, which is what I'm talking about. Oh, dear. Anyway, I digress. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, why people buy dressing gowns and what they actually think they're buying and what they ultimately buy. You know, they, they buy dressing gowns because it's this luxury things. And obviously, they ultimately just use their dressing gown when they're sick. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the difference, isn't it? But you can't say on the product page of a dressing gown, this would be great when you're sick in bed. This will keep you warm. It's like nobody wants to. Nobody no. wants to pitch you know, that. It's a bit like the white company. Actually. The white company is a good example of, of this. You know, when, when, you go on, when you look at the white company, um, I mean, back in the day, I mean, they still do this now, but, you, you know, 
you, the white company is really good at, at presenting the lifestyle and desirability. So if they were selling a tablecloth, um, you know, the homepage of the website, you know, it wouldn't just be a picture of the tablecloth. It would be it would be a picture of the grandparents having the whole family over with the kids, the grandkids, and there'd be this beautiful table laid outside and wonderful garden, barbecue, everyone's having a lovely time, kids are all running around having a happy time, everyone's joyously um and you and you, you want to step into that lifestyle and there's a part of you that that um well the the job to be done is by buying that tablecloth my life will be transformed in, yeah. and all the grandkids will come over and, and, and have a wonderful time. Everyone will be really happy. And that just, that's the yeah. that's the life you're buying into. And that's what you're selling. That's you know that that's what yeah. it is and it's that's why the, the way they sell the, the way that reminded me a picture of the way they sell wine. It's always like a kind of Tuscan yeah. Uh, with like a view, wines, yeah, yeah, with a view behind, with a, the the grandparents and everybody, you know, happy. Sh- sharing a dinner yeah. around the thing. It, and what they don't put is like someone sitting on their own drinking a bottle of wine on their own in the in watching the, Netflix, watching Netflix on the things. That's not recording what they... a recording a podcast with his yeah. brother, <laughs> by e-commerce. <laughs> um, and so the 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 other big. Uh, problem we see a lot of the time. So, so people sometimes come and ask us to look at the businesses. A lot of people in our implementation program look at the business and they go, well, who's your competitors? And they go, oh, it's uh, Ralph Lauren and uh, it's, uh, you know, some huge, it's ASOS. Um, it's well, dem- we're, we're even worse than, yeah, I mean, even worse than that. They, they look at businesses to emulate. We often say go and find a business in your space who you think is mm. doing a really good job. And they will then say Ralph Lauren and you're like, oh God, mm. you know, and you know, you know, they're in trouble with, yeah. when they start saying things like that, don't you? Yeah, because it, it was like, you, you know, you go and say, well, you should be doing this, this and this. And they'll go, well, Ralph Lauren are doing that. You see, yes, when someone comes to the Ralph Lauren website, they're already bringing with them the brand, their brand in their mind. They know the story. They, they know, know the, the story. Yeah, because yeah. it's massive. Yeah, it's absolutely massive, and 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 the funny the funny story we often say is is imagine if you know we came up with the Hammersley Brothers perfume, yeah, and uh, and tried to sell it, you know, for yeah. eighty pounds, like you know, you know that we, that's the equivalent. And we saw the saw you, the, the Johnny Depp advert of him digging in the desert, and we were like, well, let's go and dig in the desert, and yeah. um, put the perfume out there, and it's a sweaty day, and then. Uh, Hammersley Brothers perfume. It's like it just wouldn't sell, would it? Because you're not. It's Dior, isn't it? The Johnny Depp one, I think. Um, Is it no, Savage? Savage? Oh, Savage. Yeah, yeah. Savage. Yeah, and um, yeah. No, I, but it's, we should try it. But basically, yeah. that's the equivalent. <laughs> that's the equivalent that a lot of people do. Now, what we, what we're saying, the moral of the story is: don't be precious about a brand you don't yet have. So yeah. the journey to get you to it is Dior. What Mark and Arthur it is Dior. It's Savard is it? by Dior. Yeah, yeah. Oh right! Wow, that's good. That's good. That's good. So the, 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 you often say the journey to get to ten million. You know, normally when you get to about ten, maybe you can say you have a little inkling of a tiny bit of brand to talk about. But 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 for zero to ten, you don't really have anything. And so don't be precious. You know, you get a brand by getting your customers to buy your stuff. That's the job. You've got to get yourself to zero to 10. So the process of getting you past that 10, um, getting up to 10 and then beyond it is going to be different. So either side of it is different. Don't be precious. And also don't assume anybody cares about you. Nobody cares about you. At the Nobody beginning, gives a shit. At the beginning, getting your getting your product into the consumer's hands hands and then them consuming it and then enjoying it and then wanting to buy it again is what your yeah. brand is. Because that ultimately is your, your yeah. mission. It's your brand is your is, is consumers. Like you for example, like I've never bought anything by Dior. But I know them as a brand because they've they've branded it. But like we can't do that when we're small. The only way we can brand is by actually having our product in customers in customers' hands, yeah. and then we we and we build a brand by doing that, which is completely different. Yeah. You can't, yeah, you can't copy it, yeah. And then so and so one of the things that we find people have a bit of resistance of is when we say things like, um, right, we need to give people a reason to buy now, and mm. we've got to we've got to discuss the offer architecture. 
um, we might need to put the prices up to do a discount, etc., etc. And people get very, very sensitive about it because they get precious about it and they think, well, that Ralph Lauren wouldn't do that. Mm. And, you know, and it's worked for Ralph Lauren and it's, it's very, 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 very easy to fall into that trap. Loads of people do. Um, and so that's a big, big, big warning one. And to be honest, you get your business to 10 million, your econ business to 10 million, and then sell it and then let someone else worry about that later. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to sell at 10 million you can keep going if you want to a lot of people i mean to, to, to be honest 10 million is not that much nowadays e-commerce business no, you're just isn't. getting started you're just getting started yeah i mean a lot of are. the people you are a lot of people we work with they, 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 they come to us and they're like we're doing 100 million we're stuck and it's like well yeah do you know it's you the know? same stuff it's the same stuff working with a business e-com business now doing 25 million you want to get 20 to 50 it's the same stuff it's yeah exactly not, the same thing no. Um, no. Next one. Next story is um, big one. Busy restaurant test, and mm. and I want you to. I mean, you you send this about you and Kath, but I'll 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 say it because okay. you know you always you always say the story. But the busy restaurant test, and my my version of the story is um, similar similar to you, but I was in um, I was in London with my missus, and I was trying to find somewhere to eat. And walking down the high street in London, and didn't have time to go and look at TripAdvisor or anything like that. We're walking down the high street, and we want somewhere to eat. We see two restaurants. One is a really nice, busy restaurant where you can see people inside. One is next to it, and it's empty. And of course, which restaurant do you want to eat at? You mm. want to eat at the one that's busy. Why? Because you can see people in there. You have no idea if the food is any good. You have no idea what the pricing is. You have no idea what the reviews are or anything at this point. But you can see evidence of other people in the restaurant. So we obviously naturally assume it's going to be bad and that's where you want to go and eat. Mm. And to prove the point even more, even if you went into the empty restaurant, went up to the head chef and asked him, is your food any good? And he said, yeah, it's amazing. You say, well, I don't believe you because there's no one in your restaurant. You mm. wouldn't even believe what the owner of the business was saying if there wasn't any evidence of other people in the restaurant. And that is all about trust and credibility. And that's also seen... a feeling, isn't it? It's a feeling. That's you go it. to a website and sometimes you feel like you're going to be the first person that's ever bought from this website. And well, that's not that's not that's not. As, I mean, that 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 is that is because people leave things like be the first to review this product on a product. I know. Page. Why do people do that? And... It's like no reviews. Be the first. To... It's like it's almost like saying we've got an empty restaurant. Would you like yeah. to be the first person and, that comes and gets food poisoning a... here? having a question and answer thing on the product page and then having no be the first to ask a question yeah. or having like a Trustpilot widget on there that has 138 people Trustpilot. Like don't show your Trustpilot widget or Trustpilot if you haven't, if you, if you've got less than a thousand, I yeah. mean, that might be a little bit high, but you know what I mean? Take mm. away evidence of small stuff and, and, and create what little, Trust and credibility you have make the absolute most of it mm. and and pull out elevate. So that's really, 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 really big one. Remember yeah. the busy restaurant test. Do you pass the busy restaurant test? Go on every single page. Remember, people often land on the product page now. You know, from Google Shopping, Facebook product ads, they're landing on the product page. Do you pass the busy restaurant test on every single page that they could land on? Mm. That's a big, big, big one. Yeah. I mean, that's a massive one. And the other, other thing is, of course, is when you find out the job to be done, because there's loads of stuff we haven't talked about, when you find the job to be done by doing the anxiety analysis, you can make sure that you pull out customer reviews that highlight the main job to be done and address the main anxiety. Mm. And, that's, and also that's reflect massive. back the emotion that they, when the customers are happy, what they talk about when they're happy, reflect that back to them. That's, that's massive. Yeah. That's massive. Yeah. And the pain yeah. points, yeah. Um. And the last one is just getting the second sale. That was absolutely key. And the story to that was a company that we've been working with for a very, very long time. And we were stuck at spending about $10,000 a month on Google ads. And we wanted to get the repeat business from like, I think it was like 1.8 to two or 2.4 or 2.2, not much. 
And that fundamentally changed the margin calculator sheet, target sheet, everything can fundamentally change. And then within yeah. four months, we were spending, I think, 100000 $150,000 a month on Google ads and the business was working and it was absolutely flying yeah. and we were, we were growing. And what we focused on was, you know, we, we, again, we went, well, what's the complex program problem? How do we get the lifetime customer value off? And we realized the key to doing it was to get the second sale, focus everything on getting the second sale, turning the one date, you know, with a, with someone into two dates, completely different. You know, everybody goes on one date with somebody, but to go on two dates with somebody, they're actually starting to think about the person in a different way. Same with an e-commerce business. If we can get them to buy twice well, in their like mind. The magic there. Yeah. It was the magic I mean, that particular business, they, they, got, they got stuck. You know, they couldn't, mm. they couldn't spend any more budget. And we went, well, what's the easiest way to scale this business? Well, it's to get, it's the double lifetime customer value. Mm. And if we, if we double lifetime customer value, we cracked it. That's that's mm. it. That's all we need to do, and so the fastest way to 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 do it. And we realised that what was happening was that if if people were going to buy a game, they tended to do so quite quickly. So within the first six weeks, so if they, so if they go buy a second time, they did it quite quick, and the chances of them buying a second time massively dropped off the further away it was so from the first purchase so we found that six weeks if they bought within the first six weeks um, if they were going to buy again they were going to buy in the first six weeks so so it had to be about incentivizing them in that time period and and, that, and we find that across loads of e-com loads of e-com mm. businesses with the exception of probably gifting um where it's a little bit more stubborn but in most e-com if they're buying stuff for themselves, they 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 are quite willing to buy other stuff quite quickly. So that's key. And that once you've got them to the second sale, the chances of them have buying a third sale uh, by a third time is is also greatly, obviously, greatly increased through through you know nature. Um, but once they buy three times, you've cracked it. You've got them for life, mm -hmm. and they and they become mm -hmm. the you know the, the really really high performing multipliers. So the key to life because my value is getting them to buy a second time. It it does depend on your product mix, you know. Obviously, mm. you got to you got to start thinking. In some businesses, we say, well, we can't just get them to buy twice. They're just not going to buy our products twice. Mm. And in that scenario, you got to think, well, what could I what could I bring into the product portfolio to actually get them to buy a second time? What would it be? You know, what would it be? So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, better wrap that up. Better wrap it up. But uh, hopefully you've enjoyed some of our stories and it's been good for us to practice some of them before Ian's, Ian's presentation. And um, uh, obviously we've got more stories to add and we yeah. can't do everything. But uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, hope to see you soon and uh, have, a, have, a, have a good week. Any other more wrapping up, Mark? You seem to let that drift on a bit there. Oh. Do you want to add another anecdote at the end of the sentence? No. Don't. No. Once again. Okay. All right. See you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye bye.